Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly bar and restaurant scene podcast. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. We have Sam Governale and Dimitri Vucinis from Emmeline coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined this week by Shanna Jones, one half of the dynamic blogging duo, duo that is Urban Swank. Shanna, how are you? I am fantastic. What about you, Eric? I'm doing great. Welcome back. Thanks for joining me. All the time. All right. Let's get into the news of the week. We've had a wave of openings, not like like huge, like, you know, parade style, but like a few lesser things I think people will want to be aware of, starting with Prelude Coffee and Tea. This is the new project from from the owners of Greenway Coffee and Blacksmith and Morningstar, Mm -hmm. David Buer and Eki Probanto. It is located downtown, which is new for them. Not a lot of, not a lot of, good locally roasted coffee downtown you've got toot sweet kind of on the border kind of in Edo. Mm-hmm. you've got the honeymoon all the way up at main street in congress which is really like close to the courts but if you're in the central business district it's not on the tunnels it's hard to get to prelude is different prelude is is right there at maine and texas so it is right in the heart of the cbd oh yeah taking all of that starbucks money <laughs> well, I don't think I don't think I don't think Starbucks has anything to worry about. They're like pretty entrenched in the tunnels. But I am excited about this. And and I'll tell you why and then I'll I'll let you tell me whether I'm being silly or not. All right. But so David and Eki are basically they've been recruited by Heinz, which is, you know, one of the biggest developers in Houston. They are famously the, you know, the developer that built the Galleria and kind of gave, you know, kind of took Tony Valone from like a little neighborhood restaurant to what it is, the fine dining powerhouse of Houston. Basically, Heinz came to David and Eki and is offering them as an amenity to lure tenants to their building. I know United Airlines is going to be there. Some other tenants are coming. And so if this works, like we could see a wave of coffee shops and restaurants being put into high-profile real estate at like a pretty affordable price for the operator because it's a good way for the buildings to attract tenants and make money. I agree. And downtown needs it. You know, I haven't worked downtown in several years, um, but I did spend much of my career down there. And you're right. You're limited to what's in the tunnels. And a lot of it is bad, bad, mediocre at best, some good spotty (laughs) stuff. So definitely looking forward to seeing something new especially from these guys right and i think the other nice thing about prelude is that it builds on some of those lessons they started with it was originally called tuscany coffee if you're if you're old school if you've been if you've known david and Eki for a long time you may remember that uh now greenway coffee and tea in greenway plaza in the food court it, it and then blacksmith and then morningstar so it builds on all of that you can get blacksmith biscuits you can get morningstar donuts they're using the morningstar kitchen to prep mm-hmm. some food items that are unique to the cafe. They're doing this great breakfast sandwich with like a, a scrambled egg, cheddar cheese, and a 44 farm sausage that's on a 
that's on crazy. a unsweetened donut bun. So basically a brioche. They're using the donut dough like brioche. I mean, people downtown are not going to know what to do with themselves. They're going to be like, <laughs> they're going to be jumping up and down for joy. I mean, for those that are familiar with the blacksmith and the biscuits and the jam and those that are running like I have to Morningstar for those donuts to be able to get kind of the best of both worlds in this new spot. Yeah, it's going to be a new found wonderland down there in downtown. Yeah, it's it's a it's a very exciting time. Uh, there's a lot going on downtown. It's a lot of new residential downtown. So all of that just feeds into this. And you can find Prelude uh, Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. Uh, next up, the the story that I think was number one on Facebook for Culture Map this week, which is that Texadelphia is coming back. Yay. Okay, good. <laughs> good, because I was never like, I was never a big Texadelphia person. Okay. But they're opening at Westheimer and Dunvale October 2nd. So, offer drop drop. Why why I mean, should people be excited about Texadelphia coming back? Well, not to belittle what they bring at all, you know this Austin implant, but it's not really much here to begin with. When it not comes a lot to of cheese fi- steaks yeah, not from a cheesesteak standpoint. So you kind of can take what you get again, not belittling that they're just meat. They're just kind of the best because that's all we have. I mean, they're actually pretty good. I prefer the more traditional ones. I I know they have some that where they do their Texas take and. You know, you can change out for, you know, the provolone for queso and all of that. I'm kind of a traditionalist, I guess. So I just go with the go with the traditional. But, you know, I think it's good. You don't really like it that much. <laughs> you know, it, it's a funny sort of thing because I remember going there. I had a, I used to have a job in the real world before I was a food writer near Westheimer and Fountainview. So the original Texadelphia location, which is now Beaver's Westheimer, mm-hmm. was very close to us. So it was in the lunch rotation and we would go. And I remember it as being pretty good. I just wonder if like my tastes have changed, if a, if a sloppy, greasy cheesesteak is still something I'm going to want to eat or not. Um, yes. Probably. I mean, the answer <laughs> to that is probably yes. Uh, yes. Yes. And then I'm going with you um, as soon as they are open. What, October the 2nd? October 2nd. So uh, this coming Monday. All right. You guys get ready. They're back. Did you ever get like any... I didn't follow the thread too well, but... What was the story behind them leaving for this short period of time? You know, I, I don't think we ever got an explanation for that. I think it had just kind of, you know, the company has been sold. This is a new franchisee coming in. Uh, they are Houston natives who had fond memories of Texadelphia. They're going to lighten up the menu a little bit. Like, they're still going to have all the regular stuff, but they're going to diversify with some salads and some lighter entrees to kind of broaden its appeal. I know that's always tricky when an office is going out. There's always somebody on a diet. There's always somebody who... Doesn't want a cheesesteak. Doesn't want to have to take a nap in the middle of the afternoon. <laughs> Who are those people? I know. Killjoys. Yeah. No fun. No, nobody I want to be friends with. But, boring. But uh, so that that should broaden its appeal a little bit. And that, you know, that Westheimer and Dunvale area is blowing up. Agu Ramen has opened up out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where In-N-Out bought their first Houston property. No no word on timeline for that. But, you know, as, as businesses move west from the Galleria, you know, Killens SDQ, has been super successful on Voss. That's not far from where we're talking about. Yep. I think we're going to see like more and more restaurants pushing farther and farther west, like, you know, into in the West Chase towards the Beltway. Sharing the love. We yeah, need it. Bring spreading it on. the love. Bring it on. And then speaking of Austin-based chains, Juiceland has opened in Montrose. 
I think it's it's like such one of those like old guy like mantras isn't as good as it used to be <laughs> that they took a, a smoke shop and turned it into a juice bar. It's very interesting. It, but it's still it's still in the strip center with Catbird. So there's like a kind of a yeah. you know angel on the one shoulder, devil on the other. You can, yeah. you can either get a juice or you can get a, <laughs> a beer and a shot. I mean, are, are you a Juice Land <laughs> fan? Let me ask I, you that. I have not tried the first Juice Land in, in the Heights. Right? They yes, came. there's a location in the have Heights not, on. Water. I'm not. I'm a big smoothie person. I know they have a. Several dozen smoothies at their highest location. I just haven't gone, but I I can tell you I'm not a big juicer. But I would say as popular as coffee shops are, juice shops and smoothie shops are kind of like moving up the ranks. Like, yeah, it's a trend that I sort of kept expecting to go away. Like I thought it, I thought juicing was the new cupcakes, but it it seems like it has legs. It does. People want to find ways to eat healthy. The whole raw movement is there. I mean, that's kind of sticking around more than I thought it would. I'm actually, you know, liking some of the green juice that I thought, you know, wasn't as visibly <laughs> appealing initially. But, you know, hey, it's sticking. Well, and, and I know that a lot of the juice bars do this. So when I, I say that Juice Land does it, it shouldn't sound so astonishing. But, you know, they had like cut up fruit in the refrigerator. And when you order the juice, they mm-hmm. like they pluck the fruit out. They put it in the juicer. They make the juice. It, you know, they look like pretty good ingredients. I thought the flavors were good. I tried a couple. I tried a smoothie and a juice while I was there. Uh, what makes a juice bar better? Like, what what separates sort of good and better for you? I think good and better goes down to being able to get as much of the good stuff into that drink that you can, and having it still be kind of fabulous, right? I mean, when you think about think about when juicing first started, people were like spinach in my juice, right? Kale, right? Kale, ill. But now, when you can throw in apples and bananas and all kind of other stuff and, you know, throw in some protein and they become almost a meal replacement and it tastes good. I like a little ginger because that gives it a little bit a little, of kick. Yeah, a little bite to it. Yeah. I like that. So that for me opens up the window when I go from just dropping some stuff in a juicer thinking it's going to come out well versus a juice land where someone's thought about it and they're meshing good flavors together and I feel good about, <laughs> I feel good about what I'm eating and I don't feel bad. Hey, sign me up. Montrose and Montrose seems like a good fit for that. There's not, yes. strangely, there's not a lot of juice bars in Montrose. Like you have to go to like, uh, there's juice girl at Fairview and yeah. Taft, but, and there's, of course, there's a smoothie King that's been at the corner of Montrose and Westheimer for a long time, but yeah, there's just, there doesn't feel like there's a ton of options in that regard. So, and it feels right for the neighborhood. I think it'll do well. I think people love their juices and, you know, I think the only other really big chain that's, giving the cold pressed juice a run for his money is snap kitchen. So well there see. you go. And then last but certainly not least of the the openings in the last week that I want to talk about, uh Cloud Ten Creamery, one of my favorite mm. places for ice cream, now has a second location in the Heights at the Heights Mercantile Development, which is Heights Boulevard and Seventh Street. It's between seventh and eighth street. I know Felice Wind, your mm-hmm. your partner in all things My blogging. My partner in all things crime. Yes. <laughs> Including food. Yeah, she was there at the friends and family, grubbing, tasting away, you know, popping some champagne bottles, taking a few to the head. Good times. Yeah, I know. Chris Ballot, the owner, the, the business half of Cloud 10, has become a big wine guy 
over the past couple of years. So he was popping some <laughs> some Clico to celebrate yeah, man. the new business. Go big or go home. Uh, and of course, Chris Long, the pastry chef who is in charge of, of the flavors at Cloud 10, made, turned some of that vuv into ice cream, which was really good. It, it, it somehow maintained some of that effervescent mm-hmm. you know, quality in the ice cream. I, I mean, I will say this new version of Cloud 10 is what they hope to be a template for more scoop shops around the city. It gets rid of the tasting counter at the Rice Village location. Chris will still do those, but that's not, it's not, it's never been a big part of the business. And so that's not a focus of them, of what they're doing going forward. But it means that they have room to offer more flavors at one time, which I'm excited about. That's nice. And it's in this cute little house. It feels very homey. It feels very heights. They had a good crowd for, I, I got I got there too late for the official friends and family hour, but I was there that night. It was their Thursday night, the first mm-hmm. night they were open for business, and people were coming through. They they'd clearly been following the progress. They'd seen the sign. They were excited to check it out, and now it's just up to them to execute. So, what were some of your favorite flavors that you tried that you that you hadn't had before at the other location? So, you know, obviously. Like his dark chocolate and his cafe sudo, like that cafe sudo might be my favorite coffee ice cream. Yeah, it's ever of all did. time. He did so. I had the champagne, and then I had a uh, mozzarella and balsamic. And two years ago, I would not have told you that I liked cheese flavored ice creams. Yeah, but that's a big part of the menu at Dolce Neve, mm-hmm. the uh, gelato shop from Austin. That's also in the Heights that I really like. Uh, Lee's Creamery has been incorporating that into some of their flavors at Petite Sweets. So I don't know if that's new for Chris or if I just haven't been paying attention before. But when you get that kind of creamy mozzarella flavor mm-hmm. with the uh, the sweetness of the balsamic, you know, it's it's a little bit like um, like a burrata salad or a caprese salad, like in a scoop. So not as sweet. Is it a little bit more? No, mild, not mildly as sweet. sweet. Okay. No, it was it was pretty mild. Okay. And if I had if I had any any criticism it's that you know some of these cheese flavors are just like very cheesy like very salty and strong got it chris's was a little more mild because of course mozzarella is a little mild yep but i think he's really onto something with that there were there were just a ton of great looking flavors in the case i'm happy to see it i think that's just super creative and as we bring more and more of those kind of small batch you know, ice cream. I think it's it's awesome. I just think when you get people to eat <laughs> a, a ice cream with mozzarella and any other kind of unique flavors, hey. Yeah, and that Heights Mercantile Development still has uh, Melange Creperie coming. It will still have another local foods coming. And, of course, that area has gotten a big, that little pocket of the Heights has gotten a big boost. Uh, that's where Better Luck Tomorrow is. We had Terry and mm-hmm. Alex on from there last week. You know, hop the freeway. That's where pie pizza and starfish are. So it's it's a. I'm not going to say it's a neglected part of the heights necessarily, but it's it's you know the heights has been blowing up for a while now, and that trend is only going to continue. Looking forward to it. (laughs) Uh, All right, and then another another little piece of the news. uh, It seems like you know there are certain bars and restaurants in Houston that always get. Love nationally, internationally, mm. Anvil Bar and Refuge, no exception. The the bar that really kicked off the cocktail movement here in Houston back in 2009 has been recognized as one of the best, the hundred best bars in the world, ranked 80th by the same group that ranks the the world's 50 best restaurants. 
let me just let me just put this to you simply. Where do how often do you go to Anvil? Are you an are you an Anvil person? I am an Anvil person. I wish I could go more often, but Anvil, because of its popularity and those banging craft cocktails, it's a little packed, so you do have to be strategic in the time that you go. <laughs> but when you're there and you get a seat, you're gonna stay put for a while. You know, and I was I talked about this with Terry and Alex last week, which is that I I stayed away from Anvil because it felt so serious. And it, and it used to be like super duper crowded and it still is that way on the weekends, but you can go, they have a, they have a very well-priced happy hour. And so if you go during then it's busy, if you go right after that happy hour ends, it, it's pretty quiet. You can actually have a conversation with the bartender. You can explore that back bar, which has, I mean, hundreds and hundreds, like almost 900 spirits on it now. No, just but, don't go and order anything with vodka. Oh, until recently. They have vodka now. Yeah. They have 10 vodkas on the back bar. And they have a little bit of a sense of humor. You know, they do that break-even bottle, which is usually like some super obscure cognac or expensive whiskey that you can try at cost. Well, the last time I was there, uh, the whiskey that was the break-even bottle was Johnny Walker Blue. Ooh. Which is like one of those spirits that you always see in stores or on bar menus at, you know, 40, 50, 60 bucks a shot. Mm -hmm. So for $7 for an ounce, like how could I say no to a trying Johnny Blue? I wouldn't be able to. It was delicious. By the way, I don't know that I'm I don't know that I'm ever going to walk into Specs and pay $300 for a bottle of it, but it was delicious. Maybe on your next birthday we'll split it five ways with four other people or three other people. <laughs> there you go. That's just what that's right. It's, it's going to be a big birthday for me next yeah. year. So maybe maybe Johnny Maybe Johnny no, makes who an am appearance. I, who am I kidding? I would way rather have a bottle of Yamazaki 18 for similar money. Hey, let's plan it. Let's plan it out. All right. Yeah, I'm going to get a liquor <laughs> registry going. There you go. Uh, but yeah, it's it's nice to see Anvil recognized. Yeah. They're the only Texas bar on this list. They have, you know, and, and, you know, obviously these lists, there's a certain amount of popularity contest, right? Like it's, it's unlikely that the people voting on this list have actually been to Houston and tried all these bars, you know, or any of the bars that compete with Anvil. Mm -hmm. Like I'm sure they haven't been to the Bad News Bar or Reserve 101 or Moving yeah. Sidewalk or, I mean, I could, I could keep going. Yeah. Julep's a big one. Eight Row Flint. Wooster's Garden, one of my favorite spots. You know, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of bars that make really great cocktails. Yeah. Many of which are owned by people who used to work at Anvil or, or were affiliated with Anvil in some way. But I do still think like even now, Anvil's still really, really good at what they do. I agree. And still kind of leading the way for us. Do you think anyone else has a possibility of catching up? If it were any of them, I think it would be bad news. Okay. Great spirit selection, super knowledgeable staff, great drinks, beautiful setting. I think that's, and I hadn't been there in a while, and I went back there uh, in August for the first time in a while, and I was just reminded of how much I like that bar. Yeah, I, it's, one of my, it's one of my top five. Yeah, absolutely. All right, absolutely. so maybe, maybe the fickle finger of... Uh, the fickle finger of national publicity will make its way to bad news. They're listening to this podcast, of course. So they're definitely going to yeah, take our 100%. recommendations. And then uh, I, I don't want to linger too much. I know we're, we're running a little long, but I do just want to provide a couple of updates on Hurricane Harvey relief efforts. Uh, Chris Shepard via his charity, Southern Smoke, is working with Legacy Health. So instead of donating that money to the National MS Society this year, 
they're going to be issuing grants directly to people in the service industry who were affected by Harvey. If you lost your car in floodwaters, if your home or apartment was flooded, if you missed a bunch of work because the restaurant you worked for was closed, you could be eligible for assistance. They have opened the grant application process. They're going to mm-hmm. start issuing money really soon. I will have a link to that application on the Culture Map article that's associated with this podcast. It's important work. There's a couple other funds, but they they are not ready to start dispersing money, and Southern Smoke is. So that's exciting that we're making progress. And, of course, Southern Smoke is coming up next month. Mm-hmm. Tickets are on sale. Uh, I am on the record that it is a damn good time with some really great chefs coming from all over the country, well, from all over the South anyway, serving up great barbecue. You've been to Southern Smoke before. Tell the no, people. No, I didn't go last year. Oh. I didn't. I'm, I feel bad. Like, I'm going to have to, like, write that wrong. Yeah, you're going to have to pony so up for wrong. a ticket to Southern Smoke. <laughs> pony up. Maybe, you can, maybe a couple of people can go in with me on <laughs> That's that right. Ticket. Yeah, you can, get a big, you can get a big coat and sneak yeah. a couple of folks in. But, yeah, that's coming up, I want to say, October 25th, but I'm risking being wrong about that. Well, it's around that time. It's around that time. Um, but yes, we should move on. Oh, and because I've seen this question floating around a lot this week, Shanna, what was your first meal after Harvey, after the, after the floodwaters abated and you could go out? I was craving brunch. I headed to the Heights. I hit up Ritual. I ordered the entire menu and I had uh, several rounds of mimosas. Thank you very much. That is very well done. I stood in line in the rain on Sunday the, the streets around my neighborhood flooded, but the floodwaters abated long enough for me to get out to stand in line in the rain at Tierra Caliente for tacos. They were delicious. Fantastic choice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That does it for the news of the week. Let's, uh, we'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Okay. So for our restaurants of the week, we're, we're going off script a little bit. You and I did something that we don't usually do, which is we had a little mini food crawl through Katie. Yeah. And at your at Felice's suggestion. Mm-hmm. We went outside the loop. Can you believe it? Almost outside the beltway, almost beyond almost yeah. beyond the Grand Parkway, but not quite. Not quite. But we were on far enough. Mason Road. We went to Cape Cod Cafe Express, which is a as the name suggests, a New England style seafood restaurant. Uh, boiled lobsters, cold seafood, fried seafood, lobster rolls. We ate probably half the menu. Yeah. What'd you think? We put a dent in it. I think it was really, really good. And I think most importantly, very, very fresh. I think that's like the number one thing with me and seafood. So I don't care how you prepare it, grill it, fry it. It needs to be fresh. So yeah, that's a plus for me. Yeah. And that's tricky. I mean, I have family in New England. I go up there all the time, at least once a year, give or take. You know, there's a confidence when you're eating the seafood that it was, that it's fresh, that it was in the boat, you know, a day or two before. I was impressed by the lobster rolls. I am usually deeply skeptical of lobster rolls in Houston. Mm-hmm. I feel like they get, they have sort of the idea, but not the execution. The pieces, the individual pieces of lobster in the roll at Cape Cod were the right size. It wasn't chopped up too small like lobster salad. We had a main style cold roll with mayonnaise. Mm-hmm. Not super mayonnaise We had a hot Connecticut-style roll with butter, which had, I, I thought, even bigger pieces, like, overall with the with the butter. They got the, the split-top bun, properly toasted, 
super buttery. Mm-hmm. Balance of flavors was on point. Now, look, I'm not saying drive from Montrose to Katie for a lobster roll because I think that's a little bit extreme. But if you, I would rank it ahead of mainly sandwiches, for example. I would rank it ahead of mainly, and then I think we both agreed about it not being maybe as good as. Yeah, not quite. I mean, I, you know, I feel silly plugging the lobster roll at a food truck, but <laughs> Cousins Main Lobster just nails it. Every time I have it, it's really good. So what is it? that nails it for you when it comes to lobster roll. You talked about the size of the, you know, the chunkiness of the actual lobster meat is important. Yep. The you ratio have, of creaminess you, with not too much mayo, right? Yeah. I mean, so basically you want just enough mayonnaise to hold the thing together. It is not lobster salad. Right. That's different. And so that's the, that's the thing that you get when you go to Maine and it's in the, and it's what you get from cousins and, Cape Cod's maybe just like a little bit more mayonnaise than that. Um, but you really, it's like, it's just to kind of hold the thing together. But it was very flavorful. It was very flavorful. And if you like creamy, like I kind of like a little bit more cream, it was really good to me. And I'm with you on the chunks. I, I like to taste. Uh, to me, you get more of the sweetness from the lobster when you have the larger chunks of meat. Yeah. And the lobster bisque that we tried had those mm. nice big chunks of lobster in it. And seven bucks. I mean, that's a deal. Seven bucks. I think I, I was actually counting the chunks of lobster because, you know, just, you know, value here. Right. I think I had like six or seven chunks of lobster in there, which is unheard of. Yeah. And the seafood, the fried seafood we tried, we got shrimps and scallops and clam strips, which you basically don't see yeah. in Houston very often, and some haddock. All that stuff was fried really well. It was it was not overcooked. It was juicy. It was Batter good. was good. Yeah, super happy with the whole thing. So, look, make a trek to Katie if you're feeling so inclined. And if you live there, even better. Yeah. Oh, no. If you live in Katie, this is must try. <laughs> oh, if yeah. you're If you're west of the Beltway, nearest to I-10, uh, this is definitely must try for a little taste of the East Coast. And then while we were there, we swung by Tiger Noodle House. I'm, I'm sure this has been well documented elsewhere, but there's only so many places in Houston to get soup dumplings and the ones at tiger noodle i thought were pretty good they're pretty good and they're smaller i mean i've had some pretty um near-death experiences with um hot soup dumplings because they're you know sometimes they're a bit large and then if you don't handle them correctly which is kind of how i'll do it the small bite get the juice you know there's a process yeah yeah you take a little nip of the skin (laughs) you suck the juice out and, and then, then you eat you know, the, the, the meat. And the ones at Tiger Noodle were a little bit smaller. So you could go for the one bite if you wanted to. But, you know, whatever worked. But yeah, very good. 10 pieces for 7 bucks, Super affordable. And they have a, a really attractive looking menu of Sichuan-style dishes. Again, not saying like necessarily drive across town. But if you live on the west side of the city, uh, this is an authentic... Such a one style Chinese restaurant with really good soup dumplings. It's a really nice addition. And great customer service. Literally, when we were told they were out of the mango green tea, I thought the manager was going to hop in his car and go to HEB and grab some fresh mangoes. Like I, I promised that he was he was almost there if we would have let him. Yeah, they were they were incredibly <laughs> accommodating to Very us. nice, very nice people. Uh, and then we went to stacked ice cream, which I I've seen that on social media. They 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 have these really cool looking ice cream sandwiches on macaroons that they dust with toppings. Very Instagrammable. Yeah. I'd say the, I'd say the ice cream looked better than it tastes, but it's not bad. It's just not. 
It was yeah, fun. Yeah, I it was fun. I enjoyed. I got mine. With, I got a Mexican vanilla inside of a non-glazed donut. I thought it was. It's good. It's good for the area. The kids will like it. It's a cool concept. If you're, you know, on Instagram, very Instagrammable. Good. Yeah, just open, just open in Sugarland. Feels like they're kind of moving up. And and yes, just it's it's kind of like the new rolled ice cream, and that like this is the ice cream dessert that you have to have on your Instagram account to be contemporary. Yeah. All right, that does it for our restaurants of the week. Shanna, thank you. Thanks for having me. We will follow you on all platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Urban Swank, and of course, UrbanSwank.com, which is updated all the time. All the time. All right. And I will be right back with Sam and Dimitri from Emmeline. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Our interview this week is... Brought to you by our friends at 8th Wonder Brewery, one of my favorite local breweries, conveniently located in East Downtown. I mean, you can find 8th Wonder on tap walls and on store shelves all over the city, but there is something really special about visiting the brewery, whether it's for a soccer game or a baseball game. You know, certainly with the local baseball team in the playoffs, it's, it's going to be an exciting fall here in Houston, and there's really no place better to go before a game than 8th Wonder Brewery. You can have a couple of pints, maybe AstroTurf, their dry hopped cream ale that's new and in stores, or maybe their Side Hustle, which is a barrel-aged version of Haterade, their Goza. And of course, one of the fun things about going to 8th Wonder's Brewery is that you have the Eatsy Boys food truck there. They have a new menu full of all sorts of new things to try. And just recently, they added David Attic's 36-foot-tall statues of the Beatles John Paul, George, and Ringo rendered in concrete in their Sgt. Pepper gear. And if you're a real Beatles fan, you'll notice that they're not positioned as they would have been on stage. I think that may be done just to infuriate hardcore Beatles fans, or maybe it's an accident, I don't know. But definitely check out 8th Wonder, have a beer, have a bite from the Yitzhi boys, and enjoy this uh, fall weather that we all know is right around the corner. Thank you to 8th Wonder, and here is our interview of the week. My guests this week are... Sam Governale and Dimitri. Dimitri, I'm going to let you say your last name because I'm scared to mispronounce it. You put me on the spot. Dimitri Vutsinas. All right. Chef Dimitri. From, there you go. Perfect. From Emmeline Restaurant coming soon to uh, the border of uh, River Oaks and Montrose. Soon. Soon. S- soon. How do we, do you have an estimate? It's, it's, we're recording this on on Monday on the 27th of September. So do you, do you, Sam, do you have an estimate for, for when we might see Emmeline's debut? You know, you know, I'd like to say mid fall gives me <laughs> a good amount of flexibility. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, if everything goes well and in our favor, I think by the end of October, we should be ready to go. All right. Very good. Uh, Sam, I think a lot of people know you, you were at Fleming's for a long time as the operating partner. When did you, are you a native Houstonian? When did you, how did you get involved in the restaurant business? So I grew up in Kingwood. Uh, I escaped Kingwood to uh, Boston for school. Uh, migrated south a bit to New York. Uh, worked in the city for several years doing medical research. A friend of mine uh, asked me to help him finish out the restaurant. Uh, he was building on uh, Barrow Street, which I just went by today, yesterday actually. I was in New York. And I just walked by and uh, sadly... There's no restaurant there anymore. 
but I took a picture of the the, the door just just to have. Uh, it was it was definitely where my career started. Um, rose pretty quickly. Uh, became GM of that restaurant. I uh, was recruited by Matthew Kenny in New York. Uh, opened several restaurants for him over the course of six years. Um, was a beverage director, director of openings, et cetera, et cetera. Migrated again to Atlanta right around 9-11. Opened a restaurant. That couldn't have been easy. Yeah, and uh, stayed there. Okay. Uh, and uh, did some consulting, opened several restaurants, concepted several restaurants. And then, again, uh, you know, it was time to plant my seed at some point. <laughs> And I wanted to do it back here. So came back, started working with uh, Papa's actually first. And then uh, got back involved with, uh, or actually was working again by Fleming's and was an operating partner there for six years. And then, Dimitri, what about you? How did you, I mean, you, you moved here from New York. Is that where you got started in the business? Where were you working? Yeah, I grew up in New York. I was born there. Uh, I moved to Texas last year, just over a year ago. <clears throat> to to be involved in Emmeline? No, not necessarily. Um, just to get out of New York for a little while and check it out, see how things are, trying to uh, you know lay some roots. So what about what about Houston made it seem like the place to go? The food scene that was coming out, all the news, all the press that was coming out about Houston uh, made it super interesting. And then it helps that my wife is from here originally. Oh, okay, that's... so she lived in New York for about ten years. Um, and we got together and last year we decided to move. That's really it. So how did, so how did you and Sam meet each other? Uh, funny enough. I mean, it was just a, I was searching very early on in a Craigslist <coughs> ad and I just, I didn't think I'd get anything back. First ad I sent out way long ago, probably a year ago, right? I think I sent my resume in July. Yeah. Anyways, he was the first one to hit it. Uh, I didn't do anything with it for the for the next three four months. Didn't respond to any applicants. Then I started getting more serious about it. He was the first one I met. I met probably fifteen other chefs. We tasted with probably five other chefs, and uh, he was the guy. So, what made him the guy? Well, I think you know the most important thing is that he he and I ran in similar circles in, in New York. We um, we definitely had a similar vision for what we wanted this restaurant to be, as far as just a very genuine sort of natural neighborhood spot that New York is so good at. And, you know, you find them in every, tucked away in every little neighborhood in New York. It's just, so, there's such an ease and, and it's, it's, it's hard to capture here, but, you know, I think, I think our shared sort of understanding of the food that that kind of restaurant takes and the atmosphere and the feel is, is, is what really made him the right guy. Obviously it's cooking skills <laughs> yeah well, that's I mean, flavor yeah, that was one reason <laughs> <laughs> at some point at some point it's about taste yeah i mean i feel like emmeline is going to be maybe a little different i i don't i don't i've been sort of struggling to think about restaurants to compare it to i mean do you feel like there are restaurants like it or do you feel like you're bringing something kind of new to the city um i, I mean i th- i think that uh i think the goal is to bring something new um, it's about an attitude and a feel and a, and a sort of, um, I just don't know if we have that sort of all day sort of easy in and out neighborhood spot. And that's really, it's more the feel that we're going for, but from a food perspective, I mean, we, we want to keep it accessible and simple, but yet we want it to be a culinary sort of, you know, uh, 
we want it to be a culinary sort of haven or or you know we wanted to we wanted to have that that refinement of great food solid ingredients excellent you know excellent technique classic european refinement um but we still want it to be accessible and easy and and not too uppity and and informal but we want it to be refined and that's important to us yeah i mean you know it's like uh it's like when you hear a new band for the first time they're like yeah, it's like a little bit U2 mixed in with like kind of a grunge thing and then they got like an mm. electronic. So, so if I were if I were going to play that game with Emily and it's like it's not quite as pretentious as Brass 319. It's not <laughs> quite as obnoxiously foodie as Provisions and it's more formal than Polly's. I think you that's that's pretty good. I mean, like, I think we all we both struggled with how do we, you know, people want to know what it what it what it's compared to or what we would compare it to here. And I, I don't think it exists, but I'm not being so pompous to say that I'm bringing something so revolutionary either. We're right. not doing anything that's that's super cutting edge. Well, well let me something that you don't get in Houston outside of like a major market like New York. You know what I mean? Well, sure. So, are there restaurants in New York that have sort of inspired the direction? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I'll let you add. I mean, I, I think for sure, but they're. They're varied, and you know I think you know we all love the feel of that sort of classic brasserie in New York, where, whether it's um, whether it's Balthazar. There's also little great cafes in the West Village, like Via Carota or Rosemary's. Um, um, what else in New York? Il Buco. Uh, it's, it's their the concepts. It's the organic feeling that you get at some of these restaurants, as opposed to it's it's all. Um, Fluorescent lights and strip malls. You know what I mean? This is a perfect location for something that we're trying to do, for the vision that we're trying to get. Um, and, yeah, I mean, we can compare ourselves better to places in New York and more major markets. Uh, <clears throat> not so much in Houston. Houston is uh, – I don't know who we can compare ourselves to in Houston. Yeah, and then, I mean, the, the, the sort of outdoor component that we're really going for is, is reminiscent of, of Casa Tua in Miami without being so clubby and, and you know – yeah, because you have the old uh, Tiala's space on West Dallas, but you've—I mean, I drive past it. It doesn't—it doesn't remotely look the same. Yeah, well, it was a Mexican restaurant, so we had to—we uh, had to get away from that as much as we could. Well, and you added um, a second-story balcony. I mean, talk about some of the changes you've made. To yeah, space. so so we wanted to open up. You know, the my biggest argument, and I spent a lot of time in that space with my wife before we got married. But I lived right down the street, so so we we spent a lot of time there, but. I noticed that the dining room was always empty. There was no one in the dining room, always someone on the patio and a fairly busy buzzing back patio. But so we really in, in transforming the space, we wanted to open it up. Um, so we installed these amazing steel and glass windows uh, and a steel and glass storefront that we sort of extended from the original patio um, to, to make a little more dining space. But you, the goal was to really bring the outside to the inside and vice versa. And um, so in, in the bar is center stage. So it's, it's 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 definitely a feature, and then you know the mezzanine patio was just another way to get some cooler air upon us. Um, and there is a nice breeze that comes down Dallas. That, that corridor surprisingly gets movement of air in Houston. Yeah, Houstonians are so funny about outdoor dining. I mean, I was at King's Beer House this weekend for a birthday party, sweating my ass off in the beer garden. It was fine. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, the, the patio was totally slammed. Mm. I mean, I know you're a Wooster's Garden fan because I've seen you there a few oh, yeah. times. 
that space does that really well too. That kind of indoor outdoor hybrid. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a goal. Yeah, and I and I think even in the summer, I think people will embrace it. Yeah, I think so, and I think the uh, the goal too. And we have plenty of umbrellas, and you know we can maneuver the temperature and climate as much as as much as anyone can in Houston. But I think the goal too is to provide a different atmosphere and space for whatever you're in the mood for. If you want to have this quiet sort of intimate dinner, we have a dining room in the north side that's near the wine room that's. You know, it's carpeted, so the sound comes down a little bit. If you want to be in the middle of the action, you can sit at a table in the bar area. Or there's like a really cool area that's sort of low-ceilinged um, with with these big sort of Hollywood booths that are my favorite. But then there's a sunroom that's really close to the patio, but it's not outside. Still, You still get the the benefit of being there, and, you know, outside, but not you're not sweating to death. So there's, there, you know, we are very purposeful in... in uh, creating spaces that were you know conducive to your mood and then dimitri how does that reflect in the menu because it sounds like i mean you could have people like sitting on the patio drinking wine just having a couple of snacks you're gonna have dates with maybe a a more complete menu and then i mean even it sounds like pretty elaborate like multi-course wine dinners happening so so what direction did you take the menu and, and what are maybe some of the dishes that people can look forward to well i tried to keep it as um <clears throat> as refined but still casual as possible without going too far into outrageous ingredients and to, you know dishes that nobody's ever heard of but without making it boring you know and still trying to offer something for everybody to get without being a diner you know what i mean without without offering pancakes 24 hours a day you know um and also I mean, I'm still trying to get used to the heat down here. And uh, so a lot of the dishes we were trying to keep light without losing the essence of what it should be. You know, um, like, for instance, the the soup. We yeah. have a tortellini soup. You think about it, it's a brodo, Swiss chard filling in the tortellini, uh, pickled elements and fresh elements, marinated elements. It sounds like it might be a heavy dish. It's actually super ultra light. You know, um, beautiful clarified broth, nice fluffy ricotta that we make ourselves. Um, you know, it, 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 it really keeps it light so you can have it when it's cold out and it still kind of hits the spot. Or you can have it on the patio and still really light and summery because it's almost always summer in Houston, you know. Um, I think, too, like something that he's done really well is, is the, the composition of these small plates mostly cold, mostly really fresh, mostly fairly healthful. Um, and I think that component of the menu is what lends the restaurant to this flexibility you speak of, whether you're hanging out at the pat- on the patio just chilling with a bottle of rosé or you're at the bar sharing you know, a couple cocktails with friends. And, and, and um, that part of the menu, which is actually prepared mostly right off the side of the bar, uh, it's an active sort of um, pantry or market, we call it, um, but, uh, that's going to be a cool area and the, and the food that's coming off there is brilliant. It's, it's, you know, there's so many people doing crudos and all that stuff, but it's fresh and it's clean and it's, an, it's a great way to, you know. Yeah. I mean, we're in a culinary moment now where I'd say poke is the hottest dish in Houston. Yeah. I'm, I mean, oh, you're shaking your head at me. What, <laughs> I, I, what's, I, what's wrong with poke? <laughs> oh no, you can't, you can't do that. And then not, not poke get asked is about great. it. Uh, it's just. I feel like it's already done. <laughs> no, yeah, and I'm not it's saying... It's a great that- thing, and I had it in Hawaii two years ago when I went, 
and it was just coming out, like really getting popularity. And it's just, I mean, it's tuna tartare in a way. That's oh, sure. And, <laughs> and I don't expect you to do tuna tartare tacos or, or even right. a poke bowl, but, but I think that lighter, healthier, fresher, raw component, I just, I mean, I just think, you know, it powers a lot of, you know, it powers a lot of the menu at State of Grace, which is a restaurant I really love. Yeah. And I just, you know, so I'm, I'm in favor of more of that. Yeah. That, that's really my only. I think as most Houstonians are, I think it's, uh, if we could just figure out what to call it, we could, we could really expand that component of the menu. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, calling it kind of a Gulf Coast oyster bar doesn't really, no, it doesn't really get at it. No. I mean, the, the, and the other components of the menu are, 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 you know, we really wanted to capture that feeling of a, of a neighborhood sort of trattoria, a very sort of classic, Italian sort of easy all day place where families and friends are always a part of it. So we've got pizza, we've got pasta. It's not by any means a hey, I want this on my pizza type of place or you know nine to ten pastas. We've got a few pastas and may do one as as a feature. But um, you know, and then there's another component of the menu that he's it's all his and it's composed plates that are unbelievably well done and really well thought out. But again, not overthought or over ingredients. You know, it, it, it it's it's, it's a well, nice balance. Well, and, and it's something I've been wondering about because obviously you're coming at this as an owner from the perspective of someone who's run the front of the house. We talk about, you know, chefs opening their own restaurants. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure how to ask this, but I mean, what's the, what's the balance when maybe you're, you're coming at this from a different perspective than a chef? Like what are, what are you looking for the menu to do versus maybe what a chef would do if he were opening a similar restaurant? Well, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, that's something that uh, he and I often speak about um, because I, I do want to honor and respect absolutely his, his trade and his craft and his talent. And I think we've been able to do that with, again, going back to that philosophy of what we believe makes a, a spot really work and makes it easy. And for me, the menu having accessibility, at least on paper, is, is, is a component of hospitality that's important to me. I want to make people feel comfortable. I want, to, I want people to be able to come in at any time of the day and feel comfortable either indulging or not. I want it to just be a place where people are comfortable coming. And, and from there, we can do a whole number of things from a culinary standpoint that he can jump off into that, that you know, is another component of, of hospitality, but that's in that, the, the restaurant's really in that spirit. It's about welcoming a neighborhood and a, and, a, and a set of people that I love to take care of with options and with things that are going to, I mean, the, the menu is built around the people that I've come to know. So, uh, and he's helped me, you know, he's flushed it out and he's made it brilliant. So, you know, I couldn't, uh, so it's an interesting question, and I think you know initially when we started talking, Dimitri and I were uh, were, were hashing that out. Um, but I think we've come to a good place where we both sort of feed off each other's ideas. And I I throw some crazy whacked out idea at him, and he's like, "Never going to work. No, no. But we can do this, or we can use this ingredient, et cetera, et cetera." So it's it's been a fun sort of um, collaboration. I basically took the idea that he brought to me when we first met and just kind of focused it a little bit while yeah. still expanding it, if that makes sense. So, you know? so what did you tell him no? 
Like, what, was, what was one of the, what was like the one thing where he was like, "I want this," and you were like, "That's not gonna work." What was it? Um, I mean, sausage and peppers. Yeah, we, we yeah we wanted, that was the one dish that has been uh to be a small plate of sausage and peppers. Yeah, He's die hard I on it. I still think we're gonna pull it off at some point, but <laughs> maybe maybe during oh, brunch or something. <laughs> yeah, maybe on the lunch menu. <laughs> exactly. Like, uh, yeah. Exactly. No, there there are a couple other things that there were no goes. Um. But again, you know, we we had a great time working together and just sort of figuring out what we can and can't do. And the things that were a little more on the no side, I think we're both willing to sort of explore those things as features because we do want to do some daily stuff that, that in each section of the menu that is, is well, once we get rolling. Because when, when you're writing a menu, we were talking about this the other day, when you're writing a menu or coming up with the ideas for the menu, you come up with 50 ideas, but you only have space for 10. So you have to pick and choose what you want to put on there and if it makes sense with the rest of the menu, if it makes sense with the place, the time that you're opening, all these little factors that, you know, we have to whittle it down and I have to swallow it and just say, no, I'm not going to put my stuff on the menu and throw his right. stuff and out the window and say, yeah, it has to yeah. be functional. Well, it yeah. has to, I mean, there's even a business case, right? It has to, it has to have a certain margin Mix. and be priced yep. a certain way. And yep. So, I mean, that's the funny thing is that he's like, we have everything coming off of this station. That's not going to work. Right. So, you know, and the little things that maybe I don't understand or, or don't, uh, you know, understand as well as I'd like to from a back of the house or heart of the house perspective where they have to deal with all these different, you know, variables and building a menu. So it's been more difficult to take things off the menu than it has been to put things on because we're like, we have to have this. It's part of the concept. It's conceptually woven in. So, I mean, you know, we're going to find other places to use those things that we just can't fit on the regular menu. So, you know, we're, I feel like we're at an interesting kind of moment as a restaurant scene. We've had incredible growth over the last five, six years. You know, you, you hear some people are kind of pulling back. Maybe we're, we're saturated. You're, you're opening in the middle of this. What is it like? What made you? I mean, because you had a pretty good job at Fleming's. <laughs> I mean, what what made this seem like the right time to make the leap? You know, I I think that you know, in all the years that I've been in the restaurant business, and you know, you you sort of start to bookmark all these ideas and concepts, and um, you know, you you just you're always thinking about this, that, and the other thing. As far as I want to do this, I want to do that, and they they may not be all one concept. There may be several concepts, but I think when you have the opportunity and you see a building like that in a neighborhood like that, it's hard to say no. And it's just it 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 all starts to come together. Then the concept starts to form, and then you start to pull things from your memory bank of I want to do this. I really like this idea. The service idea works here, and it, this doesn't. But um, and as you build the restaurant, that that also evolves. Well, that it's not part of this. We can do that next time, hopefully. Um, but uh, you know, the timing was right for me at Fleming's. I I had committed to a good a good contract there. I'd been there for for again six years, and my contract was up. Found the space. Uh, my partner approached me on it, and uh, and uh, you know, it was it was just the right time, right place, right fit. Right. Still scary as hell. <laughs> I mean, but if anything, you know, I think, I mean, just like when One Fist Steak opened and Killen's SDQ opened kind of back to back, it was like people were going to kind of go and make some comparisons. I think, I think people are probably going to compare Emmeline to a boozy just because you're a wine guy, Sean's a wine guy, mm -hmm. similar neighborhoods, similar crowd. Yeah. 
I mean, that place looks like it's killing it. I mean, every time I drive past, I mean, that if nothing else, that should give you at least some spirit of optimism that there's a place in the market for what you want to do. You know, I think as, as much as you say, you know, we're flushed with, with restaurants and yeah, I, I love what he's doing over there, but, um, I, I think there's plenty of opportunity for, for concepts and for, and for, I just think people are going out to eat regardless. And I, I do really feel like there's room for so much more conceptually in this city that we're, when you visit a city like New York and, and so, certain things work in New York and they wouldn't work here, get it. But there's so many concepts that if pared down correctly and, and sort of, um, you know, brought down to what, what we love to do here in Houston and how we like to dine and, and our behaviors and, and, want, and wishes and wants of our guests, I think there's a ton of opportunity in many different areas of this business. And I, I, I think that, uh, you know, it's just about really putting your mind to it and, and, and being smart and intelligent and calculated uh, and passionate about doing it. All right, then, Dimitri, I want to take you in a whole completely different direction. So I have no segue for this. I was taping my monthly segment on Houston Matters with David Lefwich, and he talked about how you were kind of Richard Knight's second-in-command at the Midtown Kitchen Collective. Oh, yeah, that was that was fantastic. Uh, how, did, how did you get involved with that? I showed up at Le Baguette. I just, me and my wife were sitting home after the storm, had nothing really to do. We were okay. You know, we didn't get affected really. Uh, and I knew that people were at Le Baguette. I showed up, started making peanut butter jelly sandwiches. Started talking to Richard. And he's like, oh, come down tomorrow. We're going to go here. And he's, he just kind of handed me the reins of the kitchen almost. <laughs> what did you, I mean, you're still new to the city. What did you, what did you learn from that experience? Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't learn anything from the experience. It's what I gained was that for the past year, I've been in Houston, I've been running around, eating at restaurants, doing things, talking to people, going to bars. Now, after that, I feel like I got kind of, they helped accept me into Houston. You know what I mean? Because I'm trying to put my roots down and just hang out here for a forever or however long it's going to be. Right. So it helped, it kind of made me feel accepted, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, no real better way to introduce yourself to the community than to jump into a massive project like that. Oh, it was, it was crazy, crazy. Especially the first like two days we had no idea what was going on. Nothing was organized. And then, uh, who was a cat when came in, she started helping out Richard, his wife, Carrie, so many other people that I don't even, don't even remember their names. Sorry, everybody. But <laughs> I told them straight off the bat that I'm not going to remember everybody's names. There, there was a massive team that yeah, there were a lot just of came there. down. And, I mean, we were, we produced, when I was there for the week, week and a half, I had to get back to regular regular world. We produced, I think, over 150,000, 200,000 meals yeah. for, for Houston in general, just for people everywhere. And then we were also, we were hosts to the Cajun Navy. And uh, we set up the the supermarket for the other um, volunteers in other buildings, other kitchens, other restaurants, restaurants yeah. to come pick up ingredients and cook their own, you know. Um, and actually, most of the volunteers that I had there, they're all, you know, born and bred Houstonians. Never worked a day in their life in their kitchen. <laughs> and it was one of the best teams I ever worked with. I mean, I, fantastic. I was just astonished because I kept seeing pictures of, of Brad Moore and he owns, you know, Grand Prize and, uh, mm. I mean, a whole bunch of other bars like washing dishes, you know, like whatever, whatever's necessary, whatever people need. I just, I thought the spirit of the city really came out in that effort. And so I, I didn't want you to come on the show without 
acknowledging that you had a, a pretty big part in that. Ah, uh, no, I mean, I, I'm not. I didn't do it for anything. I mean, I did it because, I mean, I knew tons of people already. Just the small amount of people that I do know were all affected by it so harshly that, you know, I couldn't really sit home and feel guilty like that. You know, <laughs> I had to do something. I had to help. I had to put myself to use. Yeah. And and I just kept getting Facebook feeds and Instagrams of, hey, we need people volunteers. So we did it. And my wife, too, she was there every day that she couldn't get to work. She was there every minute, every day, and just putting together sandwiches and organizing. And, you know, and they, they did it. I mean, they were doing, I think Richard was doing like 14-hour days. Yeah. Seven days a week, nonstop, you know. Well, and of course, Sam, I mean, when I met you, it was at, uh, it was at that crazy dinner that you were doing the uh, Leukemia Lymphoma Society yeah. Man of the Year campaign. Yeah. That crazy dinner at Trinity. Yeah, with, exactly. Uh, That's Chris right. Kinjo. Yeah. Uh, so I, I mean, I, I know you, and I've seen, uh, dinners at Emmeline being donated for Harvey relief. So yeah. obviously you guys are going to be involved in that too. Yeah. It's coming up on, uh, on Wednesday night actually at, uh, Field and Tides. So, uh, Travis was generous and, and Chico over there, Chico's a, a friend of mine from high school. Um, so, uh, he, they're letting us take over the kitchen and, and, uh, doing a dinner at 75 a person. And it's, it's, it's a little preview of our menu, um, paired with wines. But uh, the 100% of the proceeds go to um, the Hurricane Harvey um, Hospitality Relief Fund. Great. Sounds cool. All but right. That's well, kind of our spirit. You know, that's, that's what we like to do. Yeah. It's part of being, it's part of being a, good, a good restaurant and a good neighbor in the city that uh, we have a talent. And, and we certainly want to extend that to everybody we can to make a, make a difference. Yeah. I, I think I, I always kind of understood that that generosity was, a, I mean, it's the hospitality industry. So that, that spirit is built in the name of it. But. But seeing it expressed in that kind of care for the community, I, I've just been so impressed and so just proud to be even affiliated in my small way with this uh, with this effort. It's been really nice. Yeah, yeah, we're hoping to, hoping to help out Buffalo Bayou Partnership in the future, since our neighbor and, and our neighbors uh, certainly benefit from what they do. So any sort of restor- restorative work that we can uh, help fund or help assist with, we're we're down. All right. Well, on that note, we are coming to the end of the interview. So that means it's time for the lightning round. Uh-oh. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> Sam, I'm going to start with you. What's the first concert you ever attended? Kiss in 78. <laughs> I think that's our first, that's a great answer. All right, Dimitri. I think it was I think it was No Effects. In 98. That is punk as <laughs> the word I'm not going to say on the radio. Yeah. Um, Dimitri, this, is, this, this may be tricky for you because you're new to town, but what's your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Oh, you got the wrong guy completely. <laughs> <laughs> I don't watch any sports at all. I'm just, um, no, I, I really, I can't even answer that. All right. I have no idea. Sam? Yao Ming. <laughs> <laughs> First person that came to the head. I mean, it's hard not to say Akeem Olajuwon just because he's such a champion in everything he does. But uh, I, I had a, 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 this, the punter for the Oilers, Montgomery. He was Greg Montgomery Greg from Montgomery. like the '90s Oilers yeah. team. He was just uh, he was you know a, man, a maniacal man about punting, and I just I, I watched him on the sidelines as a kid and just just practicing punting, and it was it was incredibly entertaining. <laughs> All right, Dimitri, what is your fast food guilty pleasure? It's got to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. 
Oh, man. Fast food guilty pleasure. Whataburger chocolate shakes. Those are... It's a, that's a fantastic answer. They're not the highest of quality. No. But they're fantastic. <laughs> Sam? Uh, wow. It's, it's tough not to go Whataburger. Um, that, you know, late night taquito such a solid deal yeah, always yeah all right sam what is your uh favorite place to get a taco oh um well it depends what, what my state of being is but uh like real taco probably that taco at the pit room is solid uh the brisket taco there uh the other when it's when it's low down and dirty Mikosina on uh, 34th and uh and Shepherd is is a pretty nice hangover cure. Dimitri, have you found a favorite taco yet? Uh, I stumbled upon a taco truck that's kind of over by um, Brooklyn Athletic Club. There's a there's like a deli or something over there, and there's a truck that's parked there all the time. It has a huge like 36 inch flat screen TV playing out the window of the truck. Fantastic tacos. All right, the well, tongue, the the <laughs> what else? The everything there is great. It's fantastic. Oh, Mikos, you know that taco is called, it's the Tommy taco. It's poblanos, queso, <laughs> and steak fajita. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm, I'm trying that this week for sure. Before the wave of What's Eric Eating listeners floods it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the, the time advantage I have to go to Tommy's and, and to, to Mikosina to try it. You got it. All right, last question. Uh, what one Houston restaurant do you take someone who's visiting from out of town? Oh me, um, I'm still technically from out of town. Um, I don't know. You go first. I'll think about it for a second. <laughs> uh, you know, I think I think uh, one of Hugo Ortega's restaurants. I I think uh, he he definitely um, has a good pulse on our sort of regionality and and what he brings authentically to the city that that sort of craves and. And thrives on on that type of cuisine. I, I think that uh, I think he's a solid choice for an out of town guest. All right, now you're up. Yep. Uh, I mean, I'll go by what I took the last two guests from out of town. It was um, what's that Mexican spot? Uh, Lupe Tortilla. <laughs> <laughs> That's the last place I took two guests that came from out of, came from. New well, York. they generally right, we, want and, Southwest food. No, no, they, the, I know they, you want to feed them Tex Mex. We yeah. just have to get I mean, you. It was, uh, we've got to get you eating a better class of Tex Mex. <laughs> <laughs> it was the um, beers and mixed grill. Yeah, we ate six of them in one sitting. It was pretty disgusting. I'm a, that, that's pretty awesome. impressive. Yeah, I'm a fan of what Marco does too. Marco Wiles, I think a lot of his concepts are are solid, and the food's always always consistently good. But, yeah. but other than that, state of grace is for me. State of grace provisions. Yeah, I that's where I would suggest people to go. Those you are solids. I mean? That's where I say. All right, gentlemen, thank you. Uh, we can follow the progress of the restaurant on Instagram at dine underscore Emmeline, and of course the website is. Dine Emmeline E M M A L I N E dot com. Um, Emmeline coming coming hopefully by the end of October, mid fall, mid fall. <laughs> uh, Sam and Dimitri, thank you. Our pleasure. Thank you. Uh, thank you. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at E Sandler on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on Culture Map for all the latest bar and restaurant news. Uh, if you are new to the show. 
You can subscribe on Google Play and on iTunes. Rate it. Leave a comment. But like Katie Nolan always says, only if it's five stars and only if it's nice. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.